Welcome to the B4 Business Podcast. I'm Richard Rosser from B4, and today I'm joined by Angus Horner, Director of Harwell Science and Innovation Campus in South Oxfordshire. Harwell is home to organisations, institutions and businesses shaping the world of today and tomorrow, a campus where world-class people work in world-class facilities to solve global challenges. In 2013, Angus founded what is now the 50% private sector shareholding in the Harwell Campus Partnership to help UK government accelerate growth. He's a firm believer in the power of research and innovation to deliver improved health, economic and social well-being. Good morning, Angus. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah, yeah good to see you too. Been a turbulent, positive, negative... What sort of time has it been for Harwell? All sorts of things, like for everybody, I'm sure. Yeah, it's been an extraordinary time. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're sort of caught up in it nationally the way that everyone else is, really. I mean, it's a, it's a grim situation to be in, um, and, it, and, and one sort of, um, you know, grieves for those who have lost and, and have sort of suffered during this moment, which, of course, is ongoing, um, rather boringly. Um, but, but similarly, you know, I'm hugely proud of all the people at Harwell that have risen to the challenge, and, you know, and it is a challenge, and we will, we will um, overcome it, and we will get through it, and there will be a whole load of pivot um, sort of points and kind of new um, modus operandi and I that, that flow out of um, the last um, nine months uh, and what will probably be, you know, the last sort of six months of kind of sort of fighting through it all, I suppose. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll come on to some uh, interesting ideas that you've got going forward for, for Harwell. But you know, just looking at your contribution, I suppose, to, to, to COVID and, and what you as, a, as an organisation and the companies on site have done, maybe you could just give us some highlights of, of what's happened on site. Yeah, so the whole world people have been pretty front and centre, both um, nationally and internationally. Um, I mean, we sort of, you know, we flow all the way through the strategic activity to sort of very local, regional things as well. But I'll just stop, start with the kind of um, the top level strategic stuff. So uh, when sh- China had to start shutting down their own synchrotrons, um, the diamond light synchrotron at um, Harwell, um, which, as you, you know, generates a light 10 billion times brighter than the sun, uh, took on as part of the moonshot work, the structural biology interrogation of um, SARS-CoV-2. Um, so they've been doing, uh, I mean, in particular, that structural biology, they've been doing a kind of um, a cryo slice and view um, electron micros- microscopy um, of the structure of the virus to probe for weaknesses. Um, and that data has been shared on an international basis to all the scientists trying to um, work out how to defeat the virus, both with vaccines and therapies. Um, so diamond light's also been front and centre, um, and they're still, you know, still whirring away now. I mean, they're liaising with Sarah Gilbert's team and the Jenner Institute, but also all the va- vaccines guys and lots of drugs um, companies all over the world, um, uh, sort of pushing data backwards and forwards. Um, They've also been liaising pretty heavily with the SDFC central laser facility. Um, we've got an octopus laser team that have been doing a lot of work on the um, protein structure of, of how the virus invades cells as well. Um, the Rosalind Franklin Institute have been, um, well, they mobilised very quickly. They sort of set up all their own hygiene points and kind of got their lab up and running straight away like Diamond um, with new protocols for working. And they've got a a llama antibodies therapy um, that is in clinical, well, going, about to go into clinical trials. It's already been sort of through the lab trials um, and it seems pretty um, effective at um, uh, overcoming the virus when you've actually got it. 
um, which is fantastic. Uh, so that's been happening. Um, I mean, there are a series of others. Oxford Nanopores being in the news a, a huge amount. Um, they mobilised very early as well. They had their own testing um, uh, minions and lampoles and others out in China early on, but throughout the whole world tracking the spread of the virus, but also whether it's mutating or not. Um, and then they've been, as reported in the news, um, front and centre, um, Asked, asked the invitation from government for Nanopore to help them develop new testing capabilities. Um, so they're, they're, they've been sort of busy on campus all the way through, pretty much. Um, ResNed have been um, uh, adjusting their sleep apnea technology um, for both instructing people how to make better ventilators, but also actually manufacturing um, some of the key parts. I think some some leak pores or something that needed to be produced. They've been um, uh, they've been manufacturing at pace. Um, we've had kind of virtual training for the use of ventilator kit delivered by people in rail space. Uh, I mean, there's just been an absolute stack of it. And then we've got Medical Research Council doing work. We've got Public Health England on campus as well. Um, uh, so it's not just the guys in Porton Down, but also some guys at Harwood have been pitching in to help with, with the Public Health England push. Um, yeah, so there's a whole there's a whole series of people who have been um, fighting this thing, and then what's been in the perhaps sort of uppermost in the public's mind for quite some months now is this um, thought of the vaccine. And Harwell already had um, a project um, sent to it um, last summer um, for well to create the vaccines manufacturing innovation centre. And um, some of us engaged with government during the first few weeks of this pandemic, and we've more than tripled the budget for that um, centre now. Uh, we're building it under national emergency powers. Um, it'll be you know, kind of ready in the summer. But importantly, ignoring the fact that we've, we've accelerated the build, um, the the capacity of this centre has been hugely increased so that rather than doing kind of a few million doses of vaccine manufacturing in small batches, uh, we're now capable of um, manufacturing about 70 million doses in about five or six months, which is, which is hugely impressive. And I think a lot of what we're doing um, and a lot of what I've just sort of uh, mentioned in my narrative is in fact going to set us up far better for the future in terms of our sovereign resilience to not just SARS-CoV-2, but other viruses and other zoological threats that we might come across in the future. Because the boring reality for us all is that, um, you know, we need to be more robust in our um, defence mechanisms um, and we need to surmount these challenges more quickly than we have done in this, this case because we will, we will keep getting them. Um, you know, the global population is increasing at a huge rate. Um, we are going to consistently creep into these kind of wilder areas and inherit these zoological problems. And we've got to have the means to um, defeat them, which, which we will have. Wow. <laughs> have you so, yeah, a fair bit going on. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that, that's a short summary. There's a lot uh, yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, no, in sort of research and, and de dealing with your colleagues um, prior to the interview, I knew there was a lot going on, but... Um, uh, it's impressive. I mean, talking to a lot of, I mean, I know you're not necessarily a large employer yourselves. You, you have 6,000 employees on site from the various organisations that, uh, that are at Harwell. And talking to some of the larger employers, and you're talking about mobilising, I think you mentioned the word mobilising with Nanopore. Um, I, I asked them if they'd had sort of 10 years notice about this coming, how long would it have taken them to have sort of geared up to, you know, staff working from home, etc. Um, you know, they were saying anything from six months to two years, really. I mean, the speed with which your guys on site have moved must have been frightening in, in, at times. 
Uh, yeah, no, it was bristling quick. So the Rosalind Franklin Institute guys made up their own um, uh, their own sort of hygiene um, solutions and put up their own hygiene points. I mean, you know, the Diamond guys were hyper-organised very quickly. Um, uh, you know, I was fortunate that we had um, my COO, Cliff Dare, who's a lieutenant colonel of the Royal Marines, um, ready to go on Vimic already. And, and he's brought some sort of robustness and, a, and a, perhaps a sort of slightly kind of military approach to um, how he's kind of coordinated things. But but we've had, you know, lots of great collaboration and engagement from all sorts of stakeholders. So the, the local planning authority, the Vale Whitehorse District Council, let us crack on with Vimic without planning consent. You know, everyone's actually, as you're perhaps implying, um, sort of dusted themselves down and, and slightly kind of put formal protocols to one side and and cracked on very very briskly and and we physically on campus um, yeah in the first week or two when particularly the national lockdown happened I mean we were we were already in our own office putting up sort of new fit out and screens and hygiene points and better signage across the whole campus and various other things but you know we were very ready in terms of facilities um, management and operations so that when we had one or two cases inside buildings we did deep biological cleans um with people with full sort of um, hazard suits coming in to clean whole buildings um you know i'm, I'm very proud of our own little operational team as well as the, the, those guys who've been doing the science and research more broadly across the campus because you know there's an everyday reality that we all need to use a bit of gumption and common sense and we all need to do things a bit swiftly um and we have done so we've had a very safe working environment we've obviously um, like most locations, uh, had hugely reduced um, headcount on campus, quite rightly. Um, you know, I think we've kind of gone down to sort of probably sort of 10%, maybe operating headcount at times. We're probably, last week, we're probably more like sort of 15, 20% headcount, maybe. Um, clearly from um, sort of Thursday, it'll be a lower headcount again. But we're, we're fairly technologically enabled so that actually um, not only the... Um, the easier kind of working from home um, scenarios have played out okay, but also actually a lot of the science has been conducted autonomously. So um, the Diamond Line Synchrotron has been operating with, you know, tens of people inside it rather than hundreds of people because a lot of it can be done um, with robotics um, remotely um, and, and shared internationally. So we haven't sort of, uh, I wouldn't say we've struggled too much technologically or um, kind of physically. I think what we've, probably confronted as a kind of group of thousands of people quite a lot um, uh, more regularly than would have done otherwise, is the how do you lead people and how do you actually kind of do the pastoral kind of wellness piece? Mm. Um, so we invested quite a lot of energy on that um, inside my own team, but also sort of spreading that um, sort of message and, and some sort of wayfinding out in the campus community more broad, more broadly, because I think that that's, that is a lot tougher. You know, it's not just a collaboration piece. It's, you know, it's, it's people feeling a bit kind of isolated and stuck and wrestling with problems and also feeling stressed because, you know, Zooms are nonstop <laughs> and people get a bit bombed out a little. Um, and I think that has been quite challenging. And, and but we, we're, we're better at it than we were. Um, but yeah, I think I think wellness is going to be quite a big topic, not just in in terms of not getting another virus, but actually, how what is the work um, life balance, and how do we re-establish a different ratio now of virtual to actual working? Because it clearly is not going to go back to what it was before. Um, Neither should it. Uh, yeah, it's unlikely it will do. Obviously, I mean, my next question was, you know, lessons learned from COVID. But I mean, it sounds operationally as though, uh, with all the organisations sort of kicking in the right in the same direction, um, that you're not saying you're ahead of the curve, but um, obviously, you know, with with, with the um, 
with a missing link of a, of a vaccine, you're obviously doing everything that you can in, in the right direction. But maybe the lessons, uh, sorry, and you also referenced you know, that it will be, you know, like this going forward with, with, with other, other challenges in the future. But, you know, maybe lessons learned is that wellness piece for you um, where you're seeing the implications of working from home, et cetera. I mean, that's a, obviously a huge area of concern for, for everybody going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this, there's a sort of global, and I referenced it before, the sort of zoological threats and sovereign resilience piece that the UK, you know, and the world need to think about pretty robustly. Um, you know, we need better sovereign resilience inside the UK, but not not in a selfish way. We need to be resilient so that we're in a position to kind of carry on helping globally as we have done. Um, but I think tactically and locally on the campus it is going to be different. We're thinking through quite a lot. You know, what does it mean in terms of the types of buildings that we're building now that we'll build in the future? What does it mean in terms of outside spaces, inside spaces, how you move between the two? You know, I keep referencing now with my own team, um, inside out, um, that you should be able to move between those two environments really seamlessly and that we will actually be using outdoor areas a lot more than we have done in the past. Um, so, you know, we're, we're fortunate at Harwell because we've got hundreds of acres of, of lovely green space and people can kind of go for walking meetings and sit under trees and kind of have a chat and, and sort of feel socially distanced and, and secure. Um, but we're also actually, um, we, we build reasonably low density um, buildings with a lot of outdoor space around them. We're looking at much more at all the normal things like natural ventilation and what are our communal areas and how they're going to work and what are our door closure mechanisms, um, new provision, et cetera, et cetera. But beyond that, we're also now, I mean, we've been doing it for actually about a year now. We've, we've, um, we've got one or two um, sort of schemes that were almost just external landscaping that have become, let's insert some working spaces into them, some kind of hide buildings. Um, we're looking at repurposing a, um, a wonderful um, uh, large ground station satellite dish that was in operational use until quite recently to make it part of a, an outdoor amphitheater with covered spaces and, and audio visual as well so that we can actually have event space outside um, in front of one of our conference centers that's being constructed next year. So we're trying to kind of co-mingle kind of indoor and outdoor spaces a lot more in terms of our master planning um, and our development packages as well um, because I think that'll be, that'll be kind of normal. And I think if you have the ability to kind of broadcast inside and indeed outside from places like Harwell, that's additive because we are going to have now um, collaboration and other networking events, and of course you guys are steeped in this, um, that are much more of a polished, complete um, meshing together of actual and virtual. Um, so we all need to kind of get our kind of audio visual and our kind of tools and our you know ways of working um, sharpened a bit for that because that's what we're going to do. You know the irony of, of now, of course, it's not an irony, but the, the one of the interesting things I think that will flow out of this is that we will all be operating in our sort of everyday lives very locally. We'll go to the farm shop and we'll drop our kids at school and we'll kind of you know we'll kind of consume food that's grown more locally and probably you know maybe sort of be a bit more sovereign and locally resilient in lots of ways. But, you know, as I am now, we'll sort of go back to our little office and then we'll have a Zoom call kind of to you guys over there. Or, or as I am later on today, we'll be speaking on Zoom to the US. And that, that will just be a kind of completely normal thing on a permanent basis in a way that for some of us, it's now become pretty normal um, during the last sort of nine months. You know, I used to hop on a plane a lot. Now I don't bother because why would I? Mm. And even if you can do, you probably won't. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we want to kind of see the world and carry on meeting people, but um, once you've established some sort of bond of trust, you won't need to kind of just go across for a couple of meetings. You'll just do it on Zoom. It's so much easier. Time-consuming. And you're talking about these great sort of innovations on on site I suppose all that ties in with your living lab idea as well where you're inviting companies on on campus to sort of showcase various ideas and, and see the sort of the behavioral sort of engagement of, of um, uh, people on site with those innovations as well yeah now so we've got a um, a really interesting opportunity and, and you know I think I'd confess that that you know Harwell is clearly a world-leading R&D site um, and now a serious advanced manufacturing site as well with people like Nanopore um, and Agilent and others on campus. But um, we have quite a lot of legacy infrastructure um, and that infrastructure, you know, we need to reinforce anyway, but also bolster. So we're very clear that, that, that in the bolstering of it, we need to be a lot more carbon friendly and sustainable than our approach. But also... Um, uh, more technologically um, enabled. So um, whether that's serious kind of PV um, uh, development on campus in association with reinforcement of our national grid collection connection or whether it's drone use potentially for kind of monitoring security purposes now and again in some areas, um, whether that's kind of looking at traffic and pedestrian and cycle kind of movements or it's, um, you know, a whole range of other kind of 5G enabled um, solutions, you know, these are things that we're actually inviting people to come and play with on campus because we do have um, organisational control of over 700 acres of land and millions of square feet of buildings with thousands of um, people um, on campus and those people are quite disposed to actually, you know, being at the vanguard of testing this kit. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we've got a number of initiatives that we want to roll out during the course of the next kind of few years uh, and beyond. Um, but I also think it's fascinating. I mean, it's it's interesting to me and it's been interesting since I was involved at Harwell in sort of early on in 2013 that, that quite a lot of what we're um, doing uh, at Harwell but also thinking about during this pandemic is actually um, a slightly reinvention of the wheel um, you know, we're going to build many hundreds of homes for campus people on the campus. And of course, that approach was taken in the 1930s and 40s um, at Harwell. And the co-location of where you live with where you work is a completely sustainable, logical, logical thing to do. So there's, there's, a, there's a vast array of technology things that we want to do. But we also actually want to use our kind of common sense and do things a little bit kind of carefully and sensibly um, in those ways as well because we can create a proper sustainable location and that's that's what we expect to be i presume not having tenants on site has allowed you to crack on with construction with much less disruption to tenants than under normal circumstances we haven't lost um momentum in terms of our construction program we kind of one or two sites uh where we were building went down sort of four or five weeks um but but you know caught up with themselves. Um, Vimic's been going strong throughout anyway. Uh, a number of national labs projects have been pushing on um, and haven't lost the program at all. Uh, I mean, there are one or two very interesting sort of tactical scenarios, like um, we had some enormous um, vacuum test chambers for the National Satellite Test Facility that had to be brought across from Italy um, and were actually were brought, brought across um, you know, through international borders during um, May. And it was the biggest um, moving convoy on any British road, I think. 
um, ever recorded uh, in terms of the scale of these things. And they came across, you know, up the A34 um, from Southampton in May and, and got deposited on site and are now installed in the building. And, and actually, logistically, that could have been a hell of a lot more complicated if the roads hadn't been pretty clear. It was a lot easier to get the police outriders out there and just storm up the motorway, you know, with relative kind of um, relative ease. So that, that was definitely helpful. Um, but I think, you know, a, a great result for us is frankly being on programme and, and getting Vimic kind of up early um, and up early with, with more sort of process lines and, and, and it also just kind of having some of the other um, national kind of labs developments still being delivered um, briskly and on time because, you know, we will need those things, you know, particularly not just post-COVID, but in a post-Brexit kind of wonderland. Um, you know, we want things like the National Satellite Test Facility and the Roslyn Franklin to be um, institute to be fully, fully operational, which they will be. And, and COVID aside, and there's some very interesting businesses um, on site. I, mean, I was um, looking into Astroscale the other day and, and, and looking at the sort of things that they're doing in terms of um, space debris. I mean, any sort of highlights for you? I, yeah, I mean, an awkward question to ask you. Highlights, but interesting businesses. I know. I agree. No, I mean it's worth worth talking on this a little bit because there's a there's a there's a completely understandable um, uh, sort of feeling inside, probably a pretty significant bit of the population now that that we're sort of marching into sort of a, well, we're already in a pretty difficult winter um lots of people are concerned about brexit you know some people will be delighted but quite a lot of people are quite worried about it um and economic prospects um are looking sort of fairly boring um for a while but um it, it's it's very important to remind ourselves that actually the sky is certainly not going to fall on our heads you know we will surmount this difficulty and we've got some serious rock star industries and people in the uk doing amazing things and um, you know, I, I made an effort to have Zoom calls with, with various people on campus just to kind of, sort of stay close to them and see how they're kind of getting on um, during the last nine months. And um, not not just discussing COVID things with them, but just sort of generally how their industry is going. The space industry has been really robust. So um, not only Astroscale doing space debris, which is clearly, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a beyond global issue now, um, um, but others in the space industry um, have have more than doubled their headcount during COVID. They've actually been recruiting staff, you know, to to double the number of people working on campus. You know, and most of them, admittedly, have been actually brought in and um, are working remotely at the moment. But some of these organisations, you know, they are the rock star companies of the future, and they are going great guns. And there is a there is a very big opportunity for um, us to really grip now in the new year a repurposing of ourselves. Um, you know, we can actually pivot into industries that we are excellent um, or have excellent um, track records on, inside already, like small satellites or um, CubeSats, um, you know, and, and you know, the, the extraordinary sort of technology of people like Agilent and Nanopore and Mirico and sort of electric spinning company and others. And lots of the skills that those companies and organisations need are the sorts of skills that, you know, you might have if you work in Honda in Swindon, you know, there was sort of pre-COVID, there was a sort of Honda in Swindon chatting, what are we going to do? Well, and if you actually work in the automotive industry, acknowledging that you probably won't be working with an internal combustion engine forever, you will be working on something else. You know, we've got the Faraday Institution headquarters at um, Harwell to push on in terms of the UK's, um, uh, you know, still right at the vanguard worldwide um, position in terms of um, battery research and technology development. You know, we've got we've got the skill set. You know, you can be repurposed and reskilled and have a wonderful, rewarding career doing something that's just slightly different from what you were doing. 
you know, rather than making a bit of a car, you might be making a bit of space hardware. Why not, though? It's completely available to people. And, and I, I, I rather hope, and, and some of us are talking to government a little bit about this, that sort of come the new year, and perhaps sort of particularly later in the new year, when we've kind of really sort of um, shaken this thing off properly, that we have a, a bigger national scale kind of campaign or a debate about what the knowledge economy in the UK actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not all about being a STEM person or a STEM qualified person. If you, you know, work in marketing or the law or accountancy or, you know, you're in an FM sort of facility support role or, you know, you're in catering um, or the hospitality industry, you know, there will be pivot. You know, you will not necessarily want to have your coffee shop in the high street if the high street is not as busy as it was. But you know, we definitely want more coffee shops at Harwell because there's still going to be thousands of people there. And, and picking up kind of where these kind of knowledge economy kind of themes are and how they can be um, uh, sort of reinvigorated and grown even, even more than they, they have done for the last sort of five or six years, it's going to be really economically pivotal to getting a recovery. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling slightly, but I mean, I, I, I do think there's a lot to be cheery and optimistic about. And we've got, you know, we've jumped, we've leapt forward in terms of some of our ways of working and also some of our technologies by, you know, leaps and bounds during the last nine months. Um, we've also remembered how to do things quickly, just generally rather than slowly. Mm. And, and I'm making a slightly sort of, you know, slightly sort of an angus political point possibly, but. But I do think we've, we've nationally become a bit too process-driven and we've, we've lost our capacity for moving at pace. And, and I rather hope that we'll, we'll kind of remember how quickly we could do things during this period and we'll do things fast again because, you know, the world operates faster now and so should we. And, and your, your comment about skills, I mean, I was going to ask, you know, you've got 6,000 on site now. I don't know how many you'd estimate will be on site in, in five years' time, but... Obviously, the next generation has seen quite a lot of their opportunities taken away from them, but you, you, you'd encourage um, the school leavers, uh, university graduates, etc., to be looking at Harwell for a career? Yeah, and, I, and I'd say, um, you know, this, you know we're, a, we're a national and international scale um, community, and we are, you know, important on a global, and we say we relate kind of locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally, because we do. And I would say, you know, use this as a resource. I mean, it, it, even if you live in Scotland or, you know, Northern Wales or um, somewhere very sort of geographically kind of remote from us in terms of hours of travelling to get to us, still use this actually as a resource and as a community. You know, you can go to the website, you can see what sort of organisations are thriving at the moment. And you may be able to work for those organisations, but even if you can't, um, you know, there's a lot of wayfinding at harwellcampus.com and harwellhub.com into the knowledge economy, and you can start to assimilate where where the more rewarding, um, profitable kind of career opportunities might be for you. Um, you know, it is it is going to be different going forward, and that's quite right too. We, you could argue that we're almost entering some sort of post-industrial age for things like sort of food production and various other industries, and we will see a, a movement away, I think, um, probably, you know, I mean, inevitably now, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but I think it's inevitable that we will see a, a reduction in the um, proportion of our economy that's accounted for by financial services and one or two things that are sort of legacy second half of the 20th century. And because we are already 20 years into the 21st century, you know, it is a different moment. You know, the next generation will solve the things that we can't solve now and they will do things in a different way. But peering into Harwell and one or two other places, you know, those, those guys at school and coming out of university or kind of coming out of apprenticeships or whatever can, can grip a bit better, where's probably the best sort of, you know, or the sort of richest vein of activity. 
Well, fascinating um, hearing from from you, Angus, and I really appreciate you joining us. Um, it's obviously an incredibly busy time for you. Um, wish you all our best for the future, and hopefully we'll catch up again in the not too distant future. Thank you. No, thanks. No, it's, it's been good to talk to you. And um, you know, if anyone's um, interested in learning more about what Harwell has been doing during the last kind of year and and what we plan to do next, and and kind of who we are and where we are, then do please visit HarwellCampus.com. Great to see you. And you, take care. Bye.